Welcome to this archived LDN Research Trust conference presentation. We hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, this is Kent Holtorf from the Holtorf Medical Group and the nonprofit National Academy of Hypothyroidism. And I'm jealous, I wish I was there. I've, I've never been to Prague and I heard it's a beautiful city. So you guys are lucky. But so here uh, via video, I'm gonna talk today about immune modulatory treatments for chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, chronic Lyme, and my recommendations are based on a, a lot of, obviously, literature review, uh, but also, you know, treating thousands of patients in, we had one time 22 centers across the country, and we've done, you know, studies uh, using all those patients that show that these are effective treatments, uh, and my own story as well, and that's how I got into this, uh, treating chronic fibromyalgia, chronic Lyme, was out of necessity. So. Just real quick, uh, yeah, I was in, during medical school and uh, residency, started getting so tired and went to the you know, doctors uh, there at the university and they said, oh, you're distressed, you're you know, uh, just part of being a medical student, a resident. I'm like, that's not it, I can't think, I'm so exhausted. I, I didn't think I, I could continue. So kept plugging through and then, um, and I was very standard physician very evidence-based and still am very evidence-based, but we were trained that you know anything alternative was quackery. Uh, and, but I said, oh my God, they're not helping me. I'm gonna go to these alternative conferences. And so I went, I didn't know what to expect. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these conferences are more evidence-based than what we're being taught at the universities and residencies and medical schools. It's crazy. And so I started, you know, did uh, labs, extensive labs and, I looked normal on most everything, but you know, learning, uh, uh, looking deeper, low thyroid, low growth hormone, low testosterone, low adrenal function, uh, low mitochondrial function. So all, all those things started on those, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm a new person. So that's when I basically started doing so-called alternative medicine, which I don't think is a good name because you know it gives the sense that you know standard physicians will say, oh, it means there's no evidence, which is crazy. There's more evidence. Then I was doing fine and then went through a, a stressful divorce and just crashed. Uh, I couldn't get out of bed for months, just sweating, just so sick. Um, then I went to heart failure. I couldn't, I couldn't stand. I had to walk bending over uh, or I'd pass out. Just couldn't walk two steps at a time. Talked to the cardiologist and said, oh, you can maybe get 10% more in 10, in 10 years. I'm like, oh my gosh. But that's resolved and uh, essentially leading a normal life, knock on wood. I never say cured because you never know. But, uh, and then, you know, looking back, I knew it was gonna be a tough case to treat because I had it, I know I had it lifelong because as a kid, one pupil was always bigger than the other, anisocoria. Uh, I had weird flushing on one side of my body, sweating on, you know, one side. My arm wouldn't work, part time that no could find anything. But, so I don't mean belabor that, but it's, uh, and so a lot of this was done through, I went all across the world looking for, you know, treatments for uh, chronic Lyme and, uh, and for chronic fatigue syndrome. So I'm happy that I can actually be here today and, and talk to you. So again, immune monetary treatments, goals to understand the multi-system nature and vicious cycle of chronic Lyme disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, or ME. Uh, another name for chronic fatigue syndrome. 
understand that immune dysfunction, inflammation, Th1, Th2 uh, shift is key to these illnesses. And we, I used to be for chronic Lyme, big fan, was a big fan of Horowitz, still am. Uh, but we found that just high doses of antibiotics just don't seem to work for most people. They feel horrible, then, you know, and basically say, oh, you're good, you're feeling bad, so it shows they're working. But I did four years, four and a half years of the highest dose IV antibiotics I would never give a patient, massive doses. And I would, you know, I would stop for two weeks and then come back. So found, hey, that doesn't seem the answer for myself and, and many patients. So, so what is Th1? So Th1, Th2. Th1 is your side of your immune system, gets stuff inside the cell. Th2 gets stuff outside the cell. With chronic illness, age, especially these, the illnesses that I just stated are quintessential of this shift. But you also see it with diabetes, autoimmune disease, uh, you know, multiple chronic illnesses. So again, Th1, it starts, normally this is what gets stuff in, in the cell. Th2 outside the cell, with chronic illness, it shifts. The Th1 is too low, so you can't fight the intercellular infection. Th2 is too high, all that inflammation, just brain fog, muscle aches, um, mitochondrial dysfunction. So it's, every, and everything's a vicious cycle, which, which we'll get to. So failure to address these immune abnormalities are a common cause of diagnostic and treatment failure. Treatments that address these abnormalities, including Obviously, low-dose naltrexone uh, is a key one for that. We'll talk about peptides and stem cells. There's actually a lot of immune modulators. I'm sure uh, many people have uh, used them on your patients or, or as a patient. So questions. Can immune dysfunction be the key to diagnosing chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and chronic Lyme disease? Uh, in terms of diagnosing, also, can it be a key to successful treatment? If so, what new cutting-edge therapies uh, are available to, to treat this dysfunction? So it can be difficult to differentiate these syndromes, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, uh, chronic Lyme, and other infectious diseases. Uh, basically, when you look at the diagnosis of these things, chronic fatigue syndrome uh, really describes the symptoms, right? It's a syndrome, it's not a thing, although there are consistent, uh, common pathophysiologies that you can use to basically you know, determine the likelihood of these illnesses. Like when we do a big panel, we can pick out chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, chronic Lyme about 80% of the time and, and how severe it is. So all these doctors say, oh, there's no test, da da da. Well, if you don't do any tests, then yeah, there's, they don't know what to look for. They do a CBC, a chem panel, and a cholesterol and say, well, your cholesterol is high. So, uh, and then fibromyalgia describes the physical signs, right? Tender points, there's nothing special about those tender points. You're just as well as ask people, do you have muscle pain all over? Yep, okay, you got fibromyalgia with the diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome. And then chronic Lyme's is one of the causes of chronic fatigue syndrome fibromyalgia. Uh, that, uh, so again, there's many causes, but we're finding chronic Lyme is, until proven otherwise, we're finding that is probably the key to look at. So this is uh, pictorial TH1, TH2. I spent about four hours doing that, so I figured I'd show you. Um, so he, here's a couple studies looking at, you know, basically the TH1, TH2 shift in chronic fatigue syndrome, where you can see it's, it's well documented. 
So chronic Lyme disease is a multi-system disease. There's often a triggering event under the backdrop of chronic infection. So a lot of people have Lyme, but they don't know it. If you're healthy, you can fight it off. Very few people, um, you know, let's say up to 70% get a bullseye rash. No, it's less than 20%. But then you set off a vicious cycle. The immune dysfunction, again, can be set off with significant stress. So let's say you have this chronic infection. You may not know, but then all of a sudden something else comes along. An accident, uh, another illness, significant emotional stress seems to be a big one, like divorce, death in the family. Uh, and then each problem uh, triggers other problems. So measurable hypothalamic pituitary, immune, mitochondrial, uh, you know, sleep disorder, coagulation defect, so many things. So here's a pictorial that was from about 15 years ago that I did for the fibromyalgia fatigue centers. But you can see here, so there's a genetic predisposition that a lot of people, will, when you look at gene studies, chronic fatigue syndrome patients will have, uh, will tend to have genes where they don't make serotonin very well. Uh, they'll have uh, genes that uh, are prone to um, uh, adrenal dysfunction, mitochondrial dysfunction. Uh, they tend to be hypercoagulable. So all these things are not causes, but they're uh, basically predisposition. So all of a sudden you get these things, kind of like if you have the diabetic gene, you can end up not being diabetic if you eat really well. And other people that don't have the gene can eat terribly and never get diabetic. But if you have the gene and you, know, you eat even a little bit poor, you may get diabetes. So often we see a triggering event, again, psychological stress or physiologic stress, uh, which causes a number of things. You get immune dysfunction, which results in a lot of times low-level autoimmunity. So they get diagnosed with pre-lupus, Hashimoto's, um, mixed connective tissue disease, which means you have some autoimmunity, but they, they can't pinpoint it, which we'll see it comes and goes. Uh, antiphospholipid syndrome we see is a big one. So what happens, you get primary infections, with low immunity primary infections, but especially reactivating infections. So it's like, let's say you get chickenpox. You think you're over the chickenpox? You're not. All of a sudden, when your immune system drops, comes back, back out as shingles. So all these things, you basically get reactivation, Epstein-Barr, HHV-6, mycoplasma, so all those things. A lot of these create neurotoxins. Mold creates mycotoxins. A lot of Lyme patients have mold as, as a major problem, which I won't get too much into in this lecture. Coagulation defect, where you'll see the body tries to wall off the infection with fibrin. And what happens with that fibrin is good in the short term, but in the long term, the body can't, can't get at it. And normally, oxygen takes two seconds to get into the cells. With this fibrin, it takes up to two minutes. Also, hormones can't get through, so you get thyroid resistance uh, and, and a lot of problems. And once you clean that up, all of a sudden, treatments that didn't work now are now working. On the other side, you get hypothalamic pituitary dysfunction, so the hormones are all low, but the tests look normal, such as TSH, ACTH, FSH, LH, uh, multiple hormone deficiencies because the hypothalamic and pituitary will control basically all the hormones, mitochondrial dysfunction. So you look at so many studies, what these uh, illnesses have in common, so also diabetes and any neurodegenerative um, diseases. Uh, you take muscle biopsies, for instance, chronic fatigue syndrome patients, look under electron scanning microscope, the mitochondria are all even just physically uh, damaged. Environmental toxins play a part, sleep disorder. And then, you know, when you get the mitochondria dysfunction, it feeds back and the, now the pituitary doesn't work, so the hormones are lower. 
which makes the mitochondria worse, which makes the immune uh, dysfunction worse, gastrointestinal disorders, uh, nutrient disorders. So a lot of uh, parts to this. It makes it why it's, it's difficult to treat syndromes because almost every system is affected. So most patients with chronic long-term stage 3 Lyme disease are generally asymptomatic for a variable amount of time, months, years, or they may never be symptomatic. So especially if you get mold exposure, again, toxins from the environment, uh, and as you age, like it gets worse because the immune system is getting worse and worse, more likely to come out. So tests can be labeled as inaccurate because they are positive in asymptomatic patients. Oh, it's a bad test, but turns out five years later, a year later, five years, 10 years, they come down with Lyme. So uh, the longer you have it, the more that Th1 breaks down. Uh, some may, again, may never become symptomatic. They're often mis though misdiagnosed, we say asymptomatic, but often diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, autoimmune disease, migraines, depression, bipolar, Parkinson's, ALS, Alzheimer's. I mean, we've reversed ALS patients. Uh, heart failure, like myself, OCD, ADHD, diabetes, lupus, Crohn's, PCOS, uh, PM, uh, PMS, interstitial cystitis, prostatitis, uh, sleep disorder. I probably had, I don't know, at least half of those. But longer the duration, generally the worse the immune dysfunction and the worse the other symptoms get. Co-infections make everything worse and harder to treat. So, fa um, so fast-growing infections are generally most susceptible to antibiotics. Uh, Borrelia, you know, the cause of Lyme, has a very slow replication rate with a stationary phase in production of persister cells. So normally, like, let's say you get a sinus infection, they start growing, antibiotics work very well, and then those basically are resolved. With Lyme, very slow, and then they'll stop growing if you give them antibiotics. Then they send off persister cells, which are basically inanimate, um, uh, basically Borrelia cells that basically they don't have any metabolic activity. So they're essentially immune to huge dose of antibiotics, multiple antibiotics. Then, uh, so as soon as the antibiotics are gone, they'll come back out. So that's the theory behind pulsing and ways to get rid of those persister cells. There's some meds, uh, antibiotics that do work on those. So again, slow growing, periods of no growth. Um, they only work on the uh, bacteria in the growth phase. The slower, uh, the slower the growth, the longer it takes. So you look at the doubling rates for, let's say, a sinus infection. Staph and strep are about 20 minutes. So Borrelia takes 12 to 24 hours, 35 to 75 times longer. Uh, but again, they can have periods of, of no growth. The stand, so you look at the comparison of standard 10 to 14 day antibiotic therapy for a sinus infection, say, okay, that's good enough to kill, uh, to kill them, your body can take over, translates to the different replication rate with Lyme to one and a half to three years. So really to get effect with antibiotics, think about being you need to be on for three years, which can be very tough with the side effects of antibiotics. So and really as the sole therapy antibiotics are, are generally not successful for long-term uh, improvement. The Th1 response mainly addresses again intracellular, Th2, extracellular. Uh, the body, so uh, basically when Lyme enters your body, it starts suppressing the Th1, right? So then when it gets that suppressed enough, it then it goes inside the cell. 
So now you're going to have a chronic infection because you can't fight the intracellular infection. And that's really when it now becomes chronic. So at later stages, um, uh, Borrelia infection will suppress the production of interferon gamma, uh, which is needed for a robust Th1. So they start making it harder and harder to kill the infection, which is why you need to do immune modulation to have a chance. And any, there will, you can never take enough antibiotics to kill all the infection. It's basically you've got to get them low enough to where the immune system can take over. So if your immune system is so low, you can almost never get there. But now if you have a higher immune system, higher Th1, now it's reasonable that you can uh, kill the infections with antibiotics. So you really need effective intracellular, so interferon gamma uh, plays a big part in that. Activation of natural killer cells, which are often very low. Conversion of IgM to IgG. So IgM antibodies are very weak. They just kind of go there and just stick to the bacteria, kind of like a dog on your pant leg and you're, you're pulling it. But the IgG actually will use complement and explode the bacteria. But so the interferon gamma is needed to convert. So we'll see people with chronic Lyme untreated will usually be positive on IgM. It's not the old, oh, IgM means recent infection, IgG. They will be stuck on IgM for a long period of time. So yeah, um, and the bands will change as you treat. You'll see IgM convert to IgG. Bands change. Um, like, I was basically negative on all the bands. Then it was positive on a 41. Then with treatment, became positive for five bands. And now I'm back down to just 41. And it explains the high incidence of IgM, positive Western blots. It does not indicate, a doctor will say, oh, you've had it a long time, IgM, false positive. No. Uh, so yeah, so the TH2 dominated, you'll just make IgM, which are very inefficient. So important to diagnose to treat the immune dysfunction when treating the infectious component. You're probably using, as I mentioned, a lot of immune modulators in your practice. But, you know, some novel immune modulators, we feel as just major breakthroughs in our uh, practice and treatment of these chronic illnesses, actually a lot of other illnesses uh, as well. Even for just preventive medicine and longevity, reducing cardiovascular disease, by 80%, the studies show reducing cancer by 80%. So um, immune dysfunction and inflammation are major underlying causes of wide range of illnesses, including chronic Lyme disease, chronic fatigue fibromyalgia, depression, anxiety, cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative diseases, just aging, metabolic illness, pain syndromes, autoimmune diseases, fertility issues, autism, diabetes, obesity, mitochondrial dysfunction, inflammation, toxic exposure, and addiction. So you'll see those, and these basically treatments work for a lot of other things as well. This is just showing that when you look at uh, an HIV patient who progresses to AIDS, and the higher your Th1, less likely you will progress. The higher the Th2, the more likely you will progress to AIDS, as your body can't contain the infection. So immune modulating uh, treatments uh, and therapies, you want, again want to increase Th1, lower Th2, boost natural killer cells, right? Natural killer cells monitor your body uh, for cancer and for these intracellular infections. Lower the inflammatory cytokines. Now it's like a teeter-totter. If you raise one, it lowers the other. Uh, one raises, lowers the other. So we'll talk about peptides, including thymosin alpha-1, thymosin beta-4. We'll talk about briefly about antimicrobial peptides, BPC-157, 
nootropics, which improve brain function, even healthy people, they'll improve memory. Stem cells, which we're finding are just huge and probably we're doing it earlier on, your body will just, because uh, you, your body can't rejuvenate, so the, a lot of times the medications don't work. So you do stem cells early on, much more likely to see success with, with, with the medications. Lotus naltrexone, as why everyone is here. Now other things that can be wonderful, heparin. Again, I talked about the coagulation defect. You do that, all of a sudden everything starts working. There are also immune modulators, transfer factors, IVIG, ozone, we love high-dose ozone, ultraviolet light, uh, low-dose allergen, low-dose immunotherapy, uh, you know, basically uh, allergy elimination, antivirals, uh, antibiotics. And if you do like a Western blot, or there's a test called eosinophilic cation protein, very good marker we're finding. That's probably the best marker to see if you have uh, parasites, especially Babesia, is that oftentimes it's high normal when you test it, but then give something that affects the parasites and it goes way up. So we're finding, because parasites are very difficult to detect, um, and, but that's we're finding a secondary uh, test to, to, to find that those are present. Um, let's see, and yeah, you can use, so whenever you do any test that's basically antibodies, you want to provocate with antibiotics first because these infections are very stealthy, so they're hiding. All of a sudden, if you can kill a little bit of it, then the body will recognize those pieces and then all of a sudden you'll turn positive. Again, same with that eosinophilic cation protein. Also give them the immune modulators uh, before the you're, again, the body can recognize it. It will be more likely to recognize it. Mushroom extracts, isoprenazine, high-dose B12, GCMAF. Uh, we were using leukine and neupogen for a period of time before the peptides. Uh, and they worked, but they got so expensive. Probiotic silver, antioxidants, glutathione. Chelation, bee venom. We've had some good results with bee venom, actually. Um, so peptides. Let's talk about peptides. So what, what the heck is a peptide? So there are small amino acid chains, generally around 47 to 50 amino acids. Below that, it's a peptide. Larger than that, it's, it's a protein. Um, they're found involved in regulate most every known process uh, in the body. They're very tissue-specific and cellular-specific. The body uses a vast array of these singling uh, peptides to modulate different parts and functions throughout the body. They, peptide therapy achieve much more specific results than hormones and are much more selective. They're much quicker on, quicker off than the broad effects of hormones, which take a while and they affect many different things, uh, or by trying to alter things with synthetic medications, which often have a lot more side effects than you actually notice but on a, on a metabolic and cellular level, they have a lot more uh, side effects. Um, so it improves and modulates specific parts of the hormone production, immune function, the sleep cycle, uh, inflammatory mediators, DNA replication, cell division renewal, cancer cell destruction, apoptosis, libido, sexual arousal, weight loss, lean muscle gain, other metabolic activities. Uh, they really improve healing and rejuvenation of the brain, of the heart, post-stroke, post-traumatic brain injury, neurodegenerative diseases, eyes, I, uh, I do have dry eyes, so I use a couple peptides in my eye, which I don't need medication anymore. Shown to be extremely safe, which obviously is important. Uh, and many of these, they haven't been able to find a toxic level, even giving a 100,000-fold dose. Some of them definitely have some nausea, 
you take a higher dose or some flushing for a little bit of time, but uh, nothing major. So increasing number of peptides are becoming available to treat all these different things. And it's amazing how many new peptides are coming out or, you know, we pretty much have, you know, a specific treatment for so many different systems. So what are just an intro to some of these immune modulating peptides? Thymic protein, they're different uh, proteins and uh, peptides that are from the thymus. So thymus and alpha-1 will boost Th1, thymus and beta-4, more of a modulator, and then the uh, BPC will lower Th2. Um, uh, pineal proteins, uh, epitalian, shown to increase longevity, increase telomeres, reduce cardiovascular disease, uh, some really uh, neat studies. Nootropics should be below that in terms of C-max, C-length, uh, cerebrolysin. Cerebrolysin, you need like 30 cc's a dose, so it becomes impractical. But C-max and C-length you do as a nasal spray, um, and people will, you can give them just one spray, and they'll go, oh, I'm thinking clearer. It's pretty amazing. And we're starting to use a lot of antimicrobial peptide, LL37, which shown to kill uh, Borrelia cysts better than tinidazole, less side effects is immune modulating. Uh, many of these uh, uh, peptides also bind neurotoxins and mycotoxins, so it can be very effective. Uh, some other ones, folostatin. So, so here's basically a graph of uh, what the thymus activity. So your thymus uh, uh, basically starts shrinking and it, it involates, but um, where right around age 20, this starts dropping, and then by age 40, it's like non-existent. So what uh, the thymic proteins do is bring that thymus effect back. So as soon as that drops, that's when you get autoimmune disease, uh, so many chronic uh, diseases of aging. So thymus involution is influenced by age, obesity, cal caloric intake, genetics, inflammation, stress, pregnancy toxins, hypothyroidism, low growth hormone, chronic uh, infections, and zinc deficiency. So a lot of these things that we consider, uh, you know, or how do, like, how do these, let's say, calorie intake obesity affect the health? A number of ways, but one other way is that it makes your thymus basically uh, in, involute quicker. Progressive thymic dysfunction, immunosessence, so the immune system, again, starts getting imbalanced. They occur with aging, so you increase susceptibility of infections. Then if you have these other problems as well, it makes it much quicker. Inadequate immune response to vaccinations, increased propensity to autoimmune disease, increased cancer, increased cardiovascular disease, which are all diseases of aging, right? So fix your thymus, lots of good data that shows you will prevent all these illnesses. Interesting, according to the U.S. Center for Disease Control, uh, approximately 80% of aged individuals are afflicted with at least one chronic disease as a result of decline in the thymus uh, function. Obesity and calorie intake, again, are strongly associated with that. The majority of people also have a pineal calcification by age 30. So that's the epithelial pineal hormones, combined pineal hormones with thymic proteins. Again, dramatic increase in longevity, less cancer, less cardiovascular um, disease. So what are the thymic peptides do? They have a lot of effects. They improve tissue repair and healing. And you can see all the references there. Improved host defense to infection. Reverses the immunosuppression of chronic infections such as Lyme. 
increase antioxidant and glutathione production, boost natural killer cell function, which is a, you'll see so many people low, especially if they have Lyme, chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, about 70% of chronic fatigue syndrome patients will have low natural killer cell function, and about 30% will have low natural killer cell number. Binds neurotoxins, endotoxins, mycotoxins, uh, cardiac rejuvenation post-MI, uh, heart failure. So they, a lot of studies, again, mostly animal, of course, where they ligate um, a vessel in the heart, and they look at you know, giving the thymic proteins versus not. Dramatic reduction in damage and fibrosis. Neurologic regeneration post-stroke, uh, post-traumatic brain injury, like Lyme encephalopathy, neuropathy, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, stimulate stem cell activity and proliferation. So they're very synergistic with the stem cells, and that's what we're really doing. We're given the peptides with the stem cells, and you, you get you know, basically much more you know, five times the, the effect of giving one, uh, one of those separate. Increased longevity, again, almost non-existent side effects at 100-fold the dose, excellent safety profile. So what is thymosin alpha-1? It's actually approved in 30 countries for cancer uh, treatment as an adjunct to chemotherapy, treatment of hepatitis B and C, treatment of HIV. Uh, it's approved in the U.S. as an orphan drug for one illness, but it's not available. Uh, here's just a graph showing you look at basically pre-thymosin alpha-1 and the natural killer cell function, so you can see dramatic improvement. Here's just a study showing thymosin beta-4 restorative regenerative therapy for neurologic injury and neurodegenerative disease. I mean, just the high incidence of all these problems, traumatic brain injury, and we're finding it's a much bigger problem, even just small concussions over time, especially in kids. You get you know, all, all these issues. A uh, really interesting one is body protection compound, BPC-157. Or taken orally, it works great for the gut. It's probably the best thing for leaky gut, gut inflammation, gastritis, um, again, small intestinal leaky gut, ulcers, and uh, large intestine, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, even binds like C. diff toxins, key treatment for leaky gut, Significant, significantly beneficial for inflammatory bowel disease, pain syndromes, helps neuropathy, uh, skin, muscle, tendon, and ligament damage, protects the liver from toxic insults, alcohol, antibiotics, and promotes healing. Tons of studies on rats, they just feed them tons of alcohol and shows that it protects against the toxic effects. Uh, protects against acute and chronic stress. So cells don't survive as long under stress. This will reverse it. Um, and the, basically, you can tolerate much more stress much better. And I find when I'm stressed, I'm looking for the peptides. Uh, prevent and reverses toxic damage from environmental neurotoxins. True of a number of the peptides. Increases growth hormone receptors. Prevents and inhib inhibits arrhythmias. So uh, done some people with AFib, boom, give them a shot goes away, or people with constant palpitations. Uh, real quick on antimicrobial peptide, it's, an, it's treated by your body as an uh, endogenous antibiotic, rapidly kill a broad range of bacterial, fungi, parasites, and viruses. It basically punches a hole in the prokaryotic membrane, but not human cells. In addition to their 
direct antimicrobial, they work within two minutes, the, the studies show. They're also immune modulatory, so they're uh, in vivo, so in the body the effects are much greater than uh, in vitro in the test tube. Boost, again, another peptide, boost mesenchymal stem cell, uh, migratory behavior, immune modulatory effects, so great to give with stem cells. Kills, it breaks up biofilms, even at very low levels. Uh, so again, the minimum effective concentration uh, is much lower in the body than it is in test tube. They're synergistic with, with other antibiotics. There are a lot of work on different antimicrobial peptides. Effect against free Borrelia and cystic forms. Even, uh, again, low doses block uh, the neuro effect of neurotoxins and endotoxins. Well tolerated, very large uh, therapeutic window. Now, some of the studies show Oh, they go, is it a cause of autoimmune disease? But about overall majority of autoimmune disease is being driven by a chronic infection. So your body secretes LL37 when you have these infections and creating autoimmune disease. So they, they found there were high levels in areas that have a lot of uh, autoimmunity. And, but they said, oh, is it a cause? But it's actually an effect, really, the body's uh, secreting it to try to basically uh, kill that infection. And just a number of ways that here's how the um, antimicrobial peptides L37 punches holes in the cell surface. Here's a study just showing that L37 by itself compared to tinidazole on Borrelia cysts. So they work in combination. It's better than tinidazole, but in combination uh, even better. Uh, so it says synergistic effects. Uh, nootropics, which again, boost brain function, similar nerve growth factors, peripheral and central nervous system simulation, neuroprotective effects shown to, uh, you take it, prevents traumatic brain injury, shields neurons from toxins, inflammation, and injury, protects from stress and depression, uh, improves memory even in healthy adults, neurologic regeneration and traumatic brain injury, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, stroke, toxin-induced, no significant side effects, so CMAX and CLANK all both boost brain function. And CMAX more the metabolism. CLANK, same thing, but CLANK's a little more calming. So good for people who are, you know, basically stressed and anxious. So just to quote here, CMAX is one of the rare analogs of uh, regulatory peptides which underwent all stages from fundamental investigations to practical uses. It's been demonstrated that the peptide is capable of stimulating Operative memory and attention to increase resistance to hypoxia, improve brain circulation in experimental animals and human beings over a prolonged period. CMAX significantly improves memory and attention in healthy men under extreme conditions of activities. Moreover, at present, uh, CMAX is successfully used in the treatment of patients with different diseases of the CNS uh, and basically asserted uh, positive effects, no side effects. And uh, so, really, very good. Uh, ratio so you can feel good about giving it. So peptides, you know, for chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, chronic Lyme disease, uh, BPC, which again, think about lowering inflammation, increasing healing. Uh, you know, studies show you, you know, basically crush a bone or uh, tear ligaments, tendons, and give that dramatic improvement in healing and regeneration. Anotropics, I mean, you know, the brain fog uh, can work very well for that. Depression and anxiety. Um, growth hormone-releasing peptides we didn't talk much about. 
AOD growth hormone is a fragment of growth hormone, uh, which you can give uh, PT-141 for libido and erectile dysfunction, which essentially works in 99.9% .9 of people. Epitalium was the one great for uh, you know, improving longevity and reducing mortality and uh, basically cardiovascular cancer, most everything. Uh, increased telomere length, can reverse infertility, which is interesting, maybe due to the telomere. Delta sleep-inducing peptide, statin for weight loss. So we'll talk quick about mesenchymal stem cells. So how, how do they work? We find if you give your own autologous stem cells, let's say you have chronic Lyme or chronic neurodegenerative diseases, even diabetes, it's shown that your stem cells just don't work. So taking your own stem cells from fat or bone marrow just doesn't make sense. And we're always sending people for treatments of that, uh, and I just was very disappointed in the results. But so getting a much healthier, you don't need to cross-match them, uh, no uh, reported cases of chronic infection transmission because they're very hard to be infected because they don't have the cell surface antigens that infections uh, basically need to latch onto the cells. Uh, direct replacement of the injured tissue with the stem cells, that's what people kind of think works, but it really doesn't do that. That's extremely small percent. It more goes to those tissues, it will sense those tissues and stimulate the stem cells in that area. Now, mesenchymal stem cells are very smart. They go in the body, and if you have a chronic infection, they'll secrete what's called a different secretome uh, and secrete antimicrobial peptides and versus if you have an autoimmune disease or if you have um, osteoporosis or some acute injury, you know, joint, they'll do very different things. So they're, they are smart. Now we'll give them with peptides and growth factors to really boost the effectiveness. They'll increase revascularization, uh, protect tissues from stress, uh, again, neurotoxins, anti-inflammatory effects, immune modulatory. Uh, they secrete actually LL37. So again, the, uh, the effects are paracrine, bidirectional, um, respond to whatever need your body has. Um, so yeah, so, but if your body's been chronically exposed, they stop working. And, and that's a big problem. So you look at some studies even on diabetic patients or patients who've been taking non-steroidals for a long period of time, they do the stem cell into the joint, rarely works. I mean, it works some, but just, Disappointing, I think. Autologous stem cells derived from bone marrow. Again, they've been the mainstay, but they've been in this microenvironment that just, you know, chronic exposure to meds, stress, toxins. So they're old, and they stop working. Um, their uh, the use of autologous and Lyme patients have limited rejuvenation ca capacity due to their age, chronic illness, inflammation, infections, and just the cumulative effect of uh, all, you know, or unhealthy living. Uh, yeah, so even non-steroidals, some BP meds can suppress the stem cell function. So uh, aged autologous stem cells from chronic ill patients such as Lyme, again, basically loss ability to produce anti-inflammatory effects, lower telomere levels, le levels. They lose that rejuvenation capacity. They don't, they don't secrete much because uh, they've been in that environment for a long time. Again, the umbilical cord does not suffer from those. Uh, umbilical cord has the greatest number of mesenchymal stem cells, 
And there's another study showing a review article that hey, it's now the gold standard for stem cell-based therapies. Again, they secrete LL37. Uh, again, the younger cells secrete much more cytokines, growth factors. Uh, very good for chronic infections in the cell. They'll, again, secrete all these things, immune modulators, uh, anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial. Uh, about that. In addition, being used against standalone therapies, we're finding the combination is much more exciting. So here's just taken together, our observation may serve as groundwork for the development of new therapeutic strategies uh, based on the combined use of LL37 and mesenchymal stem cells, which may provide patients not only with enhanced immunosuppressive regimen or say more immune modulating, but also agent to protect uh, against opportunistic infections. They may have, uh, be of great relevance. An extended release thymus and beta-4 administration improves the retention, survival, and regenerative potential of transplanted mesenchymal stem cells after myocardial injury. So again, reverses myocardial injury. Here's a, again, study there showing effective for helping myocardial repair. So just real quick, when to expect Lyme? Uh, usually when they meet, they'll meet the criteria for chronic fatigue syndrome fibromyalgia. Think of more severe forms. The more neurologic symptoms like neuropathies, shooting pains, um, migraines, uh, the more strange the symptom, the more likely it is Lyme. If they have multiple symptoms like, okay, you have 22 different uh, basically syndromes or diagnoses, or is it really one causing all those? So which one's more likely? The more the immune dysfunction, the more likely it's, it's Lyme. So low natural killer cell function, low immune cell production, which measures the ATP of the white cells, that's from Quest. Low CD57, again, low natural killer cell number. That's LabCorp elevated C4A, which uh, goes up dramatically with Lyme. Should be done, Quest National Jewish, sent on ice. VEGF, vascular growth factor, goes up with Bartonella. Uh, and so I had, it got so freaky, I had the biggest veins went to a, uh, people were just like, it looked like a freak. I mean, it was like so weird. Like kids stared at me if I had shorts on. And I went to a uh, vascular surgeon and he did all the tests. They weren't varicose, they were just, he goes, I've never seen someone with gigantic veins. So he sclerosed them all. And then turned out Bartonella, my VEGF was so high. And then got rid of the infection, all my veins went away. So I shouldn't have done it. But uh, the problem with the test is oftentimes it's zero. If it says zero, it was processed wrong. Again, ESOA cation protein, we find it's a, one of the best tests or screening tests, but really uh, we now use it as confirmatory for Babesia. Uh, antigen converting enzyme above 30. So the typical range for uh, antigen converting enzyme, zero to 60, but there's some study, I don't know if I have the slides here, but uh, it shows that people above 30 were exposed to Lyme, ones that had Lyme much, much higher, so above 30. Uh, immune activation of coagulation, uh, again, which is laying down that fibrin. Test D-dimer, soluble fibrin monomer, prothrombin fibrin 1 and 2, thrombin antithrombin, and um, PI-1, uh, plasminogen activator inhibitor, especially Babesia will, is, is the quintessential one that will increase that. Normal's less than 0.5, mine was 50, which put me about an 80-fold increased risk of dying from a cardiovascular event in that year. My blood was so thick you couldn't pull it out, even with gigantic needles. Uh, it was like motor oil. 
uh, low IgG subclasses, uh, leptin above 12, elevated human transforming growth factor beta. Again, if you get a, like a Quest or a LabCorp Western blot, and it has one band, even 41 kilodalton band, they say, oh, it's, that's you know, basically so many cross-reactants, it's not specific. But on that insensitive test, again, we found almost every person ends up having Lyme, although it's a selection bias on our part because we're treating the people with the symptoms. Uh, again, provocate with antibiotics before doing uh, the Western blots and ECP. Uh, know uh, with a high probability who, who we should test for. Uh, yeah, so you can tell the likelihood the person's going to have Lyme based on their symptoms, their uh, immune picture, all these, other, all these other tests, and you should have a good idea. So they come out negative on some other test, uh, keep searching. But you'll kind of know the, the positive predictive value and what's the likelihood that they will test positive. Here's just a list of um, basically kind of the lab panel that we do and kind of the ones we just talked about there in bold. And this will tell you like high, low, try to help you with that. So again, key tests, uh, red are basically essential. The blue is, you should get it. And then the other ones are be nice to get. And this is based on combination of sensitivity specificity of the test, our own experience um, over many, over 15 years. Uh, so you know, that's well, why we say these tests are uh, essential ones. Uh, I did not include any specialty laboratories with special tests. So a lot of good ones, you know, Igenix, uh, uh, Armin Labs in Germany. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of good labs. And then here's just a summary of all the peptides and what they're good for. So you can see pain, immunity, inflammation, uh, libido, anti-aging, weight loss, cognitive, antioxidant, sleep. Gives you the dose. Now the dose on the LL37 is incorrect. When you put 5 cc's in there, it ends up being like 5 to 20 micrograms. So that is wrong. Do not do that dose to start with LL37. This is just a list to tell you if they have these basically conditions, what peptides to use. And so to summarize here, I know I went through a lot and, and rather quickly because of the time, but Lyme disease is a multi-system disease uh, with a key component being immune dysfunction, can be used for diagnosis and should be addressed to give you the best chance of long-term success. Immune dysfunction, the Th1, Th2 is key. Again, failure to address these uh, makes it much harder to treat. Um, and key things that address it, again, LDN, uh, which I didn't go into because I know there's so many lectures on it, didn't want to repeat a bunch of stuff, but we use a lot of that. And then add on all these immune modulating therapies are synergistic. So ozone, IVIG, uh, you know, even high dose B12 we have success with. Uh, so, but really peptides, umbilical stem cells, LDN, are replacing standard long-term antibiotics. So uh, that's it. I don't, I probably went over. I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, hope you guys have a great conference and hopefully uh, you found uh, some of these things uh, useful. Great. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this presentation. All past conference presentations can be found on our website, www.com. 
ldnresearchtrust.org.